All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris, and today it's me, but I am not alone. Uh, we have a special guest with us. It is Pastor Jay Kim. Uh, Jay, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on, Chris. It's uh, it's fun to be on with you. Um, yeah, my name's Jay Kim. I, uh, I, I live in the Silicon Valley of California. I've been here basically... My entire life, um, been married to Jenny, my best friend. She's a high school teacher. Uh, we've been married 15 years. Got two little kids who are eight and five right now, and um, just trying to, you know, figure out young parenthood and all of that. And uh, and I serve as a pastor uh, at a church here in Silicon Valley called Westgate Church. Um, and then I, I write some books and create content every now and then. So. There you go. That's weird because my wife is actually a teacher, uh, oh, nice. elementary, and oh, then cool. yeah, I, I have two little ones too. They're eleven and seven. Oh my, yeah, yeah. My eleven-year-old acts like a twelve-year-old though. She's <laughs> she's hit that preteen. She hit that preteen running man. She gave us right. no uh, no getting ready for it. So yeah, uh, oh, but man. that that's super I feel cool that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the weather up north right now? Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, as we're recording this, uh, fall is starting to, to sort of show up. So it's getting a little bit cooler, which, you know, cooler is all relative for us. That means it's sort of in the high sixties, you know, low seventies. Yeah. So, but I, I love fall weather. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, uh, the fall weather too. I love putting on sweaters. Uh, it's just we're in California, man. We don't get that much. So yeah. I think for most of us, it's like once it hits that low seventies, like you said, it's like throw on the fall fall weather clothes, put on the scarf, yeah. start drinking our pumpkin spice lattes and all that yeah. other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so Jay, uh, honestly, I, I know we're going to talk about Colossians. But I, I listened to you on a few other podcasts, and you're, you were talking about your a uh, couple of your other books. Uh, mm-hmm. But the one that stood out to me the most was the analog Christian one. Uh, so mm-hmm. just briefly for our audience, I would love if you could give like the elevator pitch on it or the quick kind of like summary. Uh, and it may not be that quick because I may want to jump into some of this, but I just love the concept of that book. So uh, would you mind doing that before we jump into this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um Gosh, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, I released a book called Analog Christian. The subtitle really is what what tells you what the book's about. Um, the subtitle is Cultivating Contentment, Resilience, and Wisdom in the Digital Age. And really, the book is an exploration. It's a deep dive into uh, Paul's words in Galatians 5 when he describes uh, the virtues or the characteristics of the spirit's fruit, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, mm-hmm. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, on and on. And uh, I, I have discovered in my own life because of my own struggles with digital addiction and the constant need to check my phone for no reason and the sort of, you know, always buzzing sort of back pocket uh, that's vying for my attention um, that I, I was experiencing in recent years something being undone in me that um, it wasn't just so much about what digital technology and what um, my smartphone and social media, it wasn't so much about what those things could do for me. I began to grow increasingly concerned about how those things were forming me 
and mm. the reality that they're forming me into the sort of person that I never wanted to become a person that was just utterly addicted, constantly impatient, um, always needing some form of distraction or escape or entertainment. And I just felt like that was antithetical to a deep life of faith in Jesus, you know, a life of um, slow, steady, ongoing communion with God. So uh, I, I really found a ton of encouragement and hope and practical help in reading Paul's words over and over again about the fruit of the spirit. Um, so that's what the book does. It offers a way out of our digital addictions and um, a way out of, you know, all the various ways in which our digital addictions are, are forming us and instead to invite God by his spirit to form us into the image of his son. So yeah, that's analog Christian. That's so interesting that you kept using the word addiction. Yeah. Um, and I, I would never have thought of it that way. Like my phone usage as somewhat of an addicting pattern or habit, Yeah. but you're, you're kind of spot on when you think of addiction where like you hear that blip or feel that vibrate and you go to it. You're like, there I am. I'm, I'm on this phone and you know, yeah. it could be one text message that leads you to like an hour of mindlessly scrolling through something. That's right. And then you're there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Why addiction though? Why, why use that term other than kind of? Yeah, well, there's lots of reasons or several reasons. One, the word addiction comes from a Latin word that was used in the first century Greco-Roman world to describe slaves. It was actually a legal term oh. um, in the court of law. If somebody was, uh, you know, legally, um, identified as a, a doulos, that's the Greek word, um, slave or servant. Yeah, it has the same Latin root as the English word addict. So an addict is a slave. Um, and what a, what is a slave? A slave is someone who essentially lacks freedom. So when you think about our, uh, digi our digital engagement, the way we engage our digital devices, you know, when we're really honest with ourselves, we are not free. We're enslaved. Mm. Like you said, for most people, not everybody, but for most people these days, you feel that buzzing uh, or that little ping or the little blue dot or green dot or whatever, or you open social media and you see the little red heart and two more people liked your last post. I mean, there's no freedom in it. You're just like almost like a robot automatically. You're drawn, you know, to check. Um, in fact, there's a, I don't, <laughs> this is like a long conversation, but there's a reason why years ago um, they designed smartphones to uh, create a, a refresh mechanism where you pull down and then there's like a little spinning thing and then it pops up, right? Like that's almost mm -hmm. yeah, every yeah. single app on our phone. You pull down, something spins and then it pops up and it tells you um, what new update or what new, you know, uh, pings you've got what new likes or what new shares or whatever new comments whatever it might be uh that's because they did a ton of research and um found out that there's a psychological thing that happens neurologically in most people uh where when you pull down and you see something spin and then a sort of pop back mechanism it's highly addicting to the human brain the, the way oh, they wow. found this out is they researched um old casino slot machines so if you think about uh -huh. old casino slot machines, they're not like this as much anymore, but 
you think about the older sort of original slot machines, what were they? There was a lever you would pull down and then the numbers spin and the lever pops up and it tells you if you won or not. Um, in psychological terms, it's called intermittent variable rewards and it's highly addictive. That's why your smartphone's designed that way. It's like oh, not wow. accidental. It's all designed to make you addicted. So um, an addict is a slave and we're all slaves. So that's why I use that. That's why I use that term. Wow. That's, that was really cool. Uh, never put that together in that sense of, especially that little spinny thing. And as yeah. you're saying it, I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, that thing is really fun to look at. And I can't yeah. wait for what pops <laughs> up right. next. You're 100% that's right. right. Oh exactly man, they right. got us all. Uh, I yeah. personally, and then we'll jump into this. I personally, uh, found myself kind of the same thing with social media, just kind of the mindless scrolling. Um, And I turned off notifications because I found out that, you know, once like a friend would send me a meme or something or a message on there, I would just be locked in. Like you said, even the likes and everything, you just go back to it and you're like, oh, now I'm on here. Uh, So I I personally had to turn that stuff off for me. I've even deleted a few games just because I'm like, I don't like what they're doing to my life and what they've kind of controlled so uh I, I really do like the whole concept of your book and i know you have the the other one is the analog church right yep yeah that was the first book yes that was the first one okay yeah, yeah. and that one was more about uh how the church and digital age and and all that stuff is being used yeah similar it's similar to analog christian but analog christian is much more about sort of our discipleship to jesus mm-hmm. um analog church was more specifically for church leaders and pastors about our ecclesiology in the digital age. So, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's get into this 40 days of Colossians. It's a study, right? Yeah. It's going to take you 40 days. There's videos that you uh, talk through it. Um, why Colossians? Oh, gosh. Like, there's so yeah. many books in the Bible. Why totally. 40 days <laughs> in Colossians? Why, why is this one like, this is the 40-day journey we're going to go on? Yeah, I mean you're right. There there's so many books in in the Bible. Any book in the Bible would be worthwhile to study, you know, deep dive into for 40 days. Yeah, my unique interest in Colossians was really primarily um driven by some parallels, very very strong parallels I saw uh between, you know, the challenges that Paul is addressing to the first Christians in this ancient first century city Colossae. And some similarities in some of the challenges we face today. Specifically, what I mean is, you know, most scholars agree they don't they they debate what exactly it was, but most scholars agree that Paul is addressing something in this letter that scholars now call the Colossian heresy. And again, there's mm. debate on specifically what that heresy might have been. But what seems to be clear is that the heresy was some form of syncretism. Uh, which is a fancy word for like the fusion of beliefs and practices from a diverse a diversity of religious traditions. So just a little bit of background into first century Colossae. Um, first century Colossae was, uh, it, was a, it was a city at the time of Paul when he wrote this letter. It was a city that for many years at that point um, where Jude- Judaism had flourished, but it had flourished right alongside a variety of local religions, as well as a variety of the pagan religions within the the Roman Empire. So Colossae was really pluralistic, Um, a wide variety of beliefs. 
And then as the, the Christian movement began to grow in Colossae, as all of these men and women began to leave their old faith traditions behind because they had encountered the truth of Jesus and had pledged their allegiance to the risen Christ, they began following Jesus, but they were young Christians. So what seems to have been happening is that all of these folks who left their previous sort of pagan religions, unknowingly and unwittingly, they had also brought along with them into their discipleship to Jesus, a sort of sprinkling and smattering of their previous belief systems. Yeah, And so the, the early church in Colossae was struggling to figure out, wait, hold on, is this really the stuff of Jesus or is this like your old tradition and you're, you're mixing in, you know? So a lot of syncretism and Paul is trying to address that. And essentially he's essentially trying to make the point. No, Jesus is the center. There's no mixing in. There's no like 80% Jesus, 20% some of this other stuff. It's like, no, Jesus is the center of it all. Um, and as I, as I thought about that and studied that a bit, I just, I, I came to the realization, oh my gosh, we're wrestling with so much of that today. You know, there's also a lot in Colossians about uh, being one people, you know, under God, like one, the singular people of God as we follow Jesus. Um, And, and when I think about, you know, the sort of fracturing of the American church and the disunity and all of the political and socioeconomic divides and, hot button issues and all those things. There was a lot there too, for me that I just thought, man, these are words for the American church today. So um, yeah, that's where my interest uh, was really born. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I I like the, especially that unity take uh, because you can see in today's culture, it's just like, I want to say within the last four or five years, it's like divide, 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 divide. Like how can we divide people more and more Mm -hmm. um, from, you know, whether it was a mask or no mask, vaccine, vaccine, no vaccine, uh, politics, you're either red or blue. Um, and it just goes, like you said, even economically where you stand, uh, privilege, no privilege. It's just like, they want us to look at each other as enemies. And, uh, yeah, a book that's, I mean, it's kind of perfect coming at it from the point of like unity. Cause what is Christ saying? If, if Christ is the center of everything, then everything is centered around Christ. Yeah. And that's where the Christian belief comes into play, right? Like the, what separates Christians from any other group? It's like we're centered around Christ, who is right. this idea of, of, of love and love in action. Uh, yeah. yeah, dude, love it. Um, so you, you already hit on that unity thing, but what are some other like central themes you notice as you studied Colossians? What are some other things that like these were big themes that were running through this? Is it a five chapter book? Yeah, four. Um, four. All right. I get. I get yeah. Galatians, that one, Ephesians, with how many, how long they are. Uh, slightly confused sometimes. No, me too, man. All the time, all the time. Um, yeah, you know, I th- there's there's several themes, but the the primary one that comes to mind is the centrality of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, in in chapter one, there's that beautiful sort of Christ song or Christ poem that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Um, everything was created in him and through him. He's before all things. Uh, everything holds together in him. 
you know, and then right after that, it's like Jesus is the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn. God's fullness dwells in him. You know, you move to chapter two and Paul talks about how Jesus holds the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's the fullness of God and human body. He holds reality together. He's the one we serve in everything we do. Just on and on throughout the letter, Paul is reminding his original audience and in turn reminding us over and over again, it's about Jesus. Jesus is the head. Jesus is front and center. Jesus is the center. Our lives and our reality orbits around Christ, not the other way around. Um, And I think that's a, a profoundly important thought and reality for us today in a sort of, you know, in the individualistic, pluralistic, autonomous sort of my truth is my truth culture mm. we live in. Yeah. It's it's of utmost importance that followers of Jesus embrace the sort of difficult but but true reality that no 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 like the world and life and reality does not orbit around me or my preferences or my comforts or conveniences. It orbits around Christ. Um, And Paul does that through and through in this letter. Yeah, it's such a crazy thing when truth has just become like an opinion now. Like, yeah, uh, what is the truth? It's what I think. Like, no, that's that's not what truth is. Uh, Yeah. What I like here, too, about unity, especially with chapter one in Colossians, when you get Paul talking about the uh, beginning of creation and all that and get that that spill you kind of went through at the beginning. Uh, to me, it tracks a lot with what how the Gospel of John opens up. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and so forth, and through all things. Uh, and John really hitting like, this is Jesus. He was there at the beginning. And, and I, I can't remember where I heard this, but I heard someone talk about how a lot of times we get confused with like, uh, Paul's thoughts were just Paul's, Peter's or Peter's, John's or John's, and that they did no communicating about like this idea of who Jesus was. But when you start really putting the Gospels together with the epistles and uh, even with the Revelation itself, you start seeing, no, they're all tracking the same thing. There's no real difference. So there is this unity coming in, especially I think during a time where it's, you know, a lot of these letters are a couple of decades after uh, the death of Jesus. And they're like, we need to clarify things while we're still here as witnesses on what this truth is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting about what you said earlier about truth. Uh, Oxford Dictionary in 2016, their um, word of the year was post-truth, you know, seven years ago. And you just think about that. It's like, that's, that's the world we live in. So in some ways, the message of Colossians is offensive, culturally speaking, you know, in a post-truth world to say that there is a singular truth and a singular reality and that all things are held together in Christ is, is quite offensive. And uh, it's one of the struggles for Christians in the modern West. We, we're so, and I'm like this too, we're so cautious about offending anybody. Mm-hmm. I think at a certain point we have to get to the point where we realize and just embrace the fact that the gospel is offensive now yeah. we should not be offensive on, on a human personal level, you know. Again, fruit of the spirit, like kindness and goodness and gentleness, of course. But the gospel itself, the nature of the gospel, is confrontational and it is offensive to the ethos of culture today. And uh, and I think that's a reality we just have to learn to embrace. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, getting into my next question, as I kind of did my little background research on you, this is like the first time we've ever met. So this is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, first time we met, we're going to have a Bible conversation. Uh, I just really <laughs> love that stuff. Um, but uh, doing a little research on you, you're a big context guy. And a lot of like even this 40 days of uh, Colossians is like understanding the background and the culture. Uh, mm. So for for a lot of people who don't dip into that nowadays, it seems like as far as Christians, why is context and culture so important as we read the Bible? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's so critically important because the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. And unless we figure out who it was, who it was initially originally written to and why we leave ourselves really susceptible to mangling how it was written for us. You know, you have to figure out who it was written to and why in order to get to a, I think, in my opinion, an adequate and responsible understanding of what it was written for in terms mm -hmm. of how it impacts and applies to our lives today. Um, so there's a lot more to say about that, but th that's why context really matters to me. Um, I want to, I want to dive deeply into the scriptures and into the narrative, into the story and um, extract from that um, the really deep underlying truths uh, that God may be trying to communicate to us as, as his followers, as people, you know, today. Um, so yeah, that's, that's always been a high interest to me, uh, about, um, who it was written to and why for the sake of, you know, we can't stop there. If we stop there, then we just have like really good head knowledge. We have to get to the point of application, like yeah. what this was written for in terms of what it, what it means for us today. We have to get there, but I think, in order to get there, we have to ask the question, okay, who was it written to and why and what was happening in the world at the time? Um, and, and when we do that hard work, I've experienced in my life, the scriptures just come alive in a really rich, uh, meaningful way. Yeah, th th it honestly does. I just, uh, that what you said at the beginning, uh, it's written for us, but not to us, is uh, written. Uh, it's one of the top things I wrote in my Bible uh, on the first page of Revelation. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Because it, I mean, I have like a few other notes on like how to properly read this book because uh, we've, we've read it so wrong for such a long mm -hmm. time. Uh, yeah. But even just recently, I did a, a message on Laodicea and, uh, you know, we that whole passage of you're either hot or cold um, and we make it about temperature. Jesus wants you on fire for him. And this is what he's telling them. Uh, yeah. But like, uh, and when he says like, you know, I'd rather you be cold. We're like, just like, yeah, we're just basically telling people like Jesus, like, Hey, I'd rather you just go hard with sinning, like go big or go home with sinning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But when we look at the context of what's Laodicea, uh, which is tied into uh, Colossians, uh, they have the yeah. water that flows from Colossea that's yeah. cold. Uh, but by the time it gets there, it's lukewarm. And then the Heropolis, the other water that's like six miles away, uh, yeah. that flows in that's hot. And what he's saying is like, you're like that, you're useless water. Like yeah. warmness was the issue, not hot or cold. Um, yeah. and, and I've heard it the other way for so long and taught so long. Mm. Yeah. 
But when you throw context into it, what's happening in culture, oh, yeah. it just changes the whole dynamic of what you're really getting in scripture and what, what right. we kind of miss some of the points of it, um, what, mm. what they're laying yeah. down. Uh, is there anything in Colossians that's like that? That's just like, you know, we've kind of just missed the point of what Paul was saying because we don't understand the culture properly. Oh gosh. Yeah, probably. I mean, more than like misunderstanding, I think there's some stuff and I'm sure there are misunderstandings too, but for me, you know, one of the profound things is, is um, there's a richness to some of the stuff that Paul says in Colossians that we miss because we, you know, we like an example would be um, in Colossians two, you know, he talks about all these religious traditions, not all of them bad. He includes like the Sabbath day, which is, which was a Jewish tradition. And now today's, you know, a Jewish and Christian tradition. And he says, all of these things are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. That one short little line, it just sounds like a really beautiful poetic metaphor or something, but um, and this is one example out of many. Actually, what he's doing there is he's alluding to a really, a really well-known allegory at the time um, from Plato. You know, the famous Greek philosopher Plato. Mm-hmm. Um, like four hundred years, over four hundred years before Paul wrote those words, he wrote um, his sort of magnum opus called Republic. And in Republic, Plato has uh, this long narrative that we've come to know as the allegory of the cave. And essentially, long story short, he tells a story about how there's a group of people, uh, this allegory about how there's a group of people who were born in a cave. They're all chained up, but that's all they've ever known. So they think being chained up in a cave is reality. And then there's a fire behind them and some people behind that fire who are sort of like, you know, moving around and dancing. But they can't see the people behind the fire. They can only see their shadow up on, a, on, on the wall of the cave. And so for the cave people, they think those shadows are the people. They think that's reality because oh, wow. that's yeah. all they've ever known. And Plato makes this point and he's talking about philosophy. He's, he's basically making the point that the great philosophers are the, are the people who have broken free of the chains, left the cave and they realize Oh, those shadows are not re- reality. Um, this is reality. And Paul basically is taking that, which was a very famous, very well-known allegory at, at his t- during his time. And he's, he's confronting that and using it to say even the philosophers didn't really get it. As brilliant as Plato was, he was also looking at a shadow on a wall because the reality is Jesus. Jesus is the truest reality. Um, you don't get that if you just read the line and assume Paul is, you know, just using poetic metaphor. Yeah. He's actually confronting what was a very common, well-known, you know, sort of like Greek philosophy is the pinnacle of intellectual thought. And Paul is essentially saying, no, even Greek philosophy is a shadow on the wall because the reality is Jesus. So there's like all these little nuggets like that throughout Colossians, throughout all of Paul's letters that, when we do some of the contextual work, um, it just, the, the scriptures come alive in a brand new way. Yeah. That, that was actually pretty cool. And, and Paul does that a lot though, uh, yeah. where he uses someone else's writing, someone else's things to like, I, I think of Titus, he does the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. but the Cretes, your own Crete philosopher even says this or prophet. 
And I, I think it was one of the really good tactics that Paul uses is that he does use a lot of like uh, their culture at the time and their thoughts and their philosophies to really come at what the thinking is and trying to kind of correct the narrative of it. Um, yeah. And we see it throughout. I mean, his his famous speech where he's like, the, this unknown God that you have here, let me tell you about him. Um, it, it, it's what made him, I think, so effective at what he did is what he got into culture and really pulled from it to say like, hey, let me give you a correct view. I think that's kind of what's missing in a lot today with us as as Christians is that, uh, and it kind of even going into Colossians of like, culture was mixing into the Christians there. Uh, the yes. cultural beliefs were like starting to tie in, like you are saying at the beginning. And what happens at the church is that we sometimes dive into culture, that we become culture, instead of pulling from culture to to then relate to culture. Um, yeah. and to speak, to speak truth. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like you said, it's happening all the time in our day and age today. Right. Which is why, again, going back to one of your early questions, that's why for me, Colossians is a letter that, um, is so helpful to read, uh, in our day and age for sure. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't on my list, but why 40 days? Oh, um, that wasn't my call. <laughs> That's uh <laughs> It's a series. Yeah. Harper, yeah. Harper Christian, which is the publisher. They're doing this whole series where it's uh, 40 days through a variety of new Testament books. So, um, but I, I also think 40 days is, is helpful. Cause I think a lot of it is designed to be um, the content is created in such a way that you can do it with a small group, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah. And I think 40 days is kind of a nice, sort of commitment periods like, Hey, a little over a month, let's just commit to this all together and, and see what God does. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. I was just wondering as we were kind of going through the conversation um, in there, I mentioned, I saw that you had a, a, like it was one of the taglines at the back of the book. Um, Do you believe Christ is actually Lord? Uh, Why is that like the important thing that's needed for, as we study through Colossians? Yeah, I mean, not just in Col- not just as we study Colossians, but in all of life, the reality is, if Jesus is Lord, that means nothing and no one else is, right? Um, he can't be no one, and no thing can be like partially Lord of your life. The definition of a Lord is that that Lord now has rule and reign completely. We don't really conceptualize this well today because we don't really have that sort of hierarchical social system, which is a good thing uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of like just human society. Um, what we have today, at least in the modern Western world, um, is an economy, like a job economy, a working economy. So we don't have lords. We have bosses. You know what I mean? But yeah. um, we, we, go to not, we go to our nine to five or our eight to five. We punch in and we punch out. But when it's 501 and we're done working, if our boss came to us and they started in, you know, they started applying their authority in the workplace to our personal lives, if they said something like, hey, I want you to show me your uh, your bank account. I just want to check in, see how you're, you're spending your money. I've got some thoughts on investing and, you know, I, I just I want to. I want to uh, I want to make sure you're doing it right. And if you're not, then we'll course correct. If if a boss said that to an employee, I mean, that would be an HR violation, you know, like, yeah, you can't there are limits to a boss's authority in 
an employee's life. It's only within the boundaries of the boss-employee relationship in the workplace. That's not the case with a lord. If someone is lord in your life, especially in the ancient Greco-Roman world, there was no turning that off. That means they had complete authority in every aspect of your life. So um, that's what it means that Jesus is Lord, that we surrender every aspect of our lives, not just Sundays from 9 to 1030 when we're at church, but literally every waking moment of life is surrendered to him. And uh, I think that's it's challenging, but it's so critically important for us to think about and do, um, which is why, yeah, that's a big part of uh, a big part of, you know, um, the content of the series. Yeah, uh, we we were covering uh, Judas in our villain series, and uh, one of the things that popped up while I was just doing study for it and just something I never really caught was uh, the way Judas would eventually talk to Jesus was uh, he called him rabbi, like teacher. And where you see the other disciples, there's like change, like Peter's like, you are you are the son of God. And I believe this, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus, like, and on this rock, on that truth and principle, I will build up my, my church and the gates of hell yeah. won't prevail. You know, it's yeah. on that statement, not necessarily Peter. Um, but Judas never made that flip. It was always rabbi and he never went to Lord. And I think mm-hmm. that is a key thing to Christianity is that at some point, Jesus has to be Lord of our life. Uh, yes. If we keep him as good teacher, we'll just go to him when we need advice or we'll, we'll think this. But the problem with that is I've had teachers and sometimes I've been like, yeah, I didn't really like what they taught me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to apply that to my life. Yeah. And when he's stuck there, then, yes, we get a pick and choose. Um, uh, what president? I think it was Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Where he just he picked and chose what he wanted, and it was like, I didn't like this. I'm gonna cut it out, That's and right. you know that was probably a pretty thin Bible, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you know it's missing the completeness of it, the fullness of it. And when Jesus isn't Lord, I think we miss the completeness of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my next thing, and then is so we're, as we're looking at Colossians, and we've we've tiptoed around this, but like, how do we apply this? Like you talked about, like application has got to be the key thing to this all. Uh, so, how do we apply it to our Christian life today? Yeah, I think we have to. I mean, there's so many applications. One of the things that comes to mind is um, Paul gets practical in the letter. Uh, in chapter three, he talks about putting off or putting to death our old lives. This is a theme for him throughout his letters and he does it in Colossians and then putting on um, the new life in Jesus. And it gets really practical. So in Colossians three, he says, you know, put to death. If Jesus is Lord, then put to death your earthly nature. And then Mm -hmm. he names things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idolatry anger, malice, you know, rage, filthy language, you know, just on and on. And then he says in place in replace those things with a new life. And he he says, like, cover yourselves or clothe yourselves with. And again, this is sort of an echo of, you know, the fruit of the spirit. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgive each other, pursue unity. Um, pursue the peace of Christ, be thankful, you know, and then he, he concludes, he says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. So, 
to me, I mean, there's lots of practical hook holds, but that's one of the first things that comes to mind. He gets really practical in terms of how we live our lives, you know, in light of the new life we have in Christ. And really what it means is putting off the old self and putting on the new and, and embodying um, the beautiful characteristics of, of the spirit of God. Yeah, I like the, the the relation that you you're pulling back to Galatians with the fruit of the spirit, uh, and because he does kind of always connect those two themes of like uh, the sinful nature is this or the it's that, um, and I think it's in Galatians. I, I thought it was in Colossians, so I was looking at my uh, phone Bible app real mm. quick to see if it was there, but I'm pretty sure it's in Galatians where he says, and uh, uh, the the fruit of the flesh is obvious. Like and then he goes down that list of sexual morality, impurity, shameful passions, evil desires, greed, idolatry, and it, it continues on. But I always loved, and I didn't catch it until the last time I went through it, was that word obvious. It's like mm. we know what those things are. We we're 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 clear on knowing when our flesh is doing it. And then yeah. when he gets to the fruit of the spirit, he's like, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. And in the same thing here, he kind of goes over the same thing you know, put off rage and all that stuff. Um, and like you're saying, gets into the therefore love each other type thing. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't get the obvious. Mm-hmm. And that's what tripped me out. It was like, why is one obvious and why is one like not? And it's because the easy thing is always to give into those things. The yeah. hard thing is to to do the others, the love, joy, self-control. Even going back to your like, uh, your, 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 the analog Christian about our phone, like, when we think about that, that's like, yeah, I don't have self-control if I can't not beckon right. the call of this. Um, yeah, that's a really good good uh, application for us all. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing, actually, I have a few last things, uh, so bear with me. But favorite passage, what verse from Colossians was like, this is the one that hits you. This is the one that like spoke to you. This is the one that... Uh, you know, in Paul's words, made you feel like wretched sinner I am, or maybe even gave you joy. Like what, which one was it? And what response did you get from it? Oh man, that's a great question. Yeah. Maybe the opening line, um, of chapter three, well, it's kind of a toss up. I mean, the Christ song or the Christ poem is awesome. I should probably say that's probably my favorite. You know, the sun is the image of the invisible God, Mm -hmm. that whole section. It's just epic and awesome. So yeah, that's probably my favorite. Colossians 1, the sun is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. Um, he's before all things. Everything holds together in him. He's the head of the church. Yeah, that's probably that's probably my favorite. Uh, what are you working on right now? What, what should we be on the lookout for? Yeah, thanks for asking. I have a, a new book coming out in the spring of 2024. Um, it's called Listen, Listen, Speak, Hearing uh-huh. God and, and Being Heard in a, in a Noisy World. So, yeah, it's all about um, attuning our hearts and minds to hear God through, you know, scripture and uh, our prayer lives and, um, and uh, belonging in the local church. And then it's about how to speak in such a way that people actually hear us. I think that's a real struggle these days. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's called Listen, Listen, Speak. It'll be out in April of 2024. I love that. Yeah, that actually reminded me. There was our earlier conversation. We were talking about culture and how to get into it with love. 
Yeah. You had said something, it triggers something in my mind. And then I did my normal <laughs> brain fart went blank thing that happens from time to time. And I was like, oh, just ask the next question because you forgot. <laughs> but it did like, how do we speak to people is so important because Christians today, we just get such a bad rap because of the, uh, how do I phrase this? The picketing Christians. Mm, yeah, that's right. I, I, I don't even want to put Christian on their name, but maybe the so-called Christians who picket um, and just go out there and they're just like, in hate and in in anger and like condemning people and man that's that's not going to change people you know the yeah. there was definitely a point where you know during the 2000 2020 time frame uh where a lot of stuff i mean in california that was happening that was crazy with riots and stuff mm. and um especially when it became with like the racial things and for me i just said yeah i'm i'm not gonna pick it i'm gonna pray like that's my that's weapon. Good. You yeah. know, how am I going to speak into people? It's not going to be going out there and doing that. It's going to be in prayer. And uh, yeah. I'm kind of going backwards to a conversation and pulling forward with what you said, because it just triggered that. No, uh, that's great. I love it, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, you know, if you want to come back on for that one, I would love to hear more about that. Um, yeah, I would love to. What, what, what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh, great question. Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I'll just tell you, it's like a weird answer. I am preparing for a teaching series on um, sexuality and gender at our mm. church. So um, I'm reading a ton of stuff on that. So a Abigail Favalli's um, The Genesis of Gender. Uh, I'm reading a book called The Meaning of Sex. Um, I'm going through some books I've already read before, Carl, Tr Carl Truman, um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. A uh, couple other things. I just read a book that's outside of the sexuality and gender world. I just read a book called Overcoming Apathy, um, which was fantastic. Uh, and then I also just finished up um, Peter Griggs' uh, How to Hear God, I think. Um, so anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always reading like mm – -hmm two, three, sometimes four books at a time. Uh, but right now I'm like neck deep in sexuality, gender stuff. So, uh, what are you listening to and what, what's on your phone? What we you turn it on? Oh, what's on there. And it doesn't have to be the Christian answer. If it's oh not. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I don't really have much. I do listen to like podcasts sometimes, uh, like sermon podcasts, but mm -hmm. it's pretty rare. There's a few, friends around the country, I'll, I'll listen in just to, you know, listen to what they're teaching and thinking about. Um, but yeah, uh, I listen to some sports podcasts. <laughs> um, so the ringer sports network, you know, like Bill Simmons podcast, I yeah. listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I've been music wise. Uh, my kids have just gotten into Coldplay. I haven't listened to Coldplay in a long time, but they just got into them. So I've been listening to Coldplay in the car when we're driving around. My daughter, who's eight, is like growing into that Taylor Swift age. So that's kind of a struggle for me. But yeah, fun. Sometimes <laughs> it'll be a little Swifty, Swifty yeah. action in the car. So, anyways, yeah, bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, my daughter went emo, so th that kind of worked. Um, <laughs> and we we didn't hit that Taylor Swift phase. Yeah, uh, but but you, I, I had the shock of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had the shock one day of driving and I think Green Day was on the radio. Oh, nice. And uh, I was sitting there and like my, my son was in the back with me. My son likes more of the rock music that I do. Uh, yeah. my, 
my daughter awesome. hits more of the like 2000 alternative stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah. But he was like, just like listening to it. And I was like, I just had this flashback of myself sitting in the backseat of my dad's car while he was yeah. playing Elvis and the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> and then it hit me that totally. those time ranges were about the same, like the, the years yeah. apart. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I it, like I went inside, old. I cried a little bit. I just felt old. <laughs> yeah, we're all getting old. Yeah, we're getting there. Happens, happens to the best of us. So that's yeah, okay. it, it was just weird, but you know, yeah, and yeah. when you see the kids wearing the Nirvana shirt, I'm always like, name two songs. That's right. That's, that's right. my totally. music. That's not yours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> totally, 100%. 100%. Dude, this has been awesome, man. I've had a great time. I want to be respectful oh, of your time because I know you're a busy dude. Uh, oh, and I could honestly talk about Colossians with you uh, for hours because there's just so much in there. Uh, yeah. But man, this has been really cool. I'm so glad yeah. we got to do this. I'm so glad we got to sit here. Um, and like I said, when the, the whatever you got coming out next, let us know. And uh, we'll definitely want to talk about that too. Yeah, will do. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. All right. So I'm Chris. And I'm Jay. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Thank you.